Hello, hello, hello. This is Tamika Seaton, President and CEO of Grow Your Nonprofit, where we help startups, small and stagnant nonprofits grow through fundraising strategies, strategic planning, and so much more. Guys, today you are in for a treat. I have my special guest here, Sharon McAllister. She is the founder of Southwest Florida's premier art festival. So before we get started, I'd like to thank the sponsors of my podcast, Hodges University with a campus in Fort Myers. Stay near, go far. They change lives for the better. Trinity Life Foundation Naples, helping at-risk youth through their enrichment program, AVID. That stands for the Associations of Haitians Living Abroad. They just opened an amazing support center where they would help people with immigration, food insecurity, and so much more. Last but not least, Vaxtruth. They received a grant from the CDC to raise awareness of COVID-19 and community resources in the black and brown communities. So like I said, I have my special guest here, Sharon McAllister. How are you doing, Sharon? I'm great today. How are you? Great, great. Thank you so much for joining me. I actually met you um, through LinkedIn. You actually reached out to me. We, we signed up for On the Table event, which we ended up having to reschedule. And the topic for our, our discussion was um, running your nonprofit like a business. So thank you. So we're, we're definitely going to revisit that. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. That'd be great, because I think that's a great topic. Yes, that yes. Doesn't get, doesn't get talked about enough. Exactly. And we're going to touch on that today because I know with Southwest Florida's premier art festival, you're the founder, you were the executive director for 21 years, and you build that organization from the ground up. So before we get into that, start by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and why did you start this very important nonprofit? Well, I uh, moved to Southwest Florida about almost 30 years ago now. Oh, wow. Which uh, is amazing to me that that time's gone by. And prior to that, I worked for a for-profit, very large uh, national for-profit company um, as, a, as an officer. Okay. And then I moved here with the intention of retiring. And then I met Don Pate, who at the time was the director of redevelopment downtown. And uh, he had a fledgling crafty event hmm. out of his office okay. run by the city. But right by the redevelopment agency, and over the course of three lunches, he convinced me to take it over. <laughs> he called me the first time. Said, "Do you have time for lunch?" And I'm like, oh. yeah, "What do you want?" I'm like, "I know, right?" When someone want? asks you out to lunch, <laughs> so um, convinced me to take it over because actually, the city and the redevelopment agency should not be in the event business. Right? They should be busy developing right. the city. Exactly. So uh, I did. It was quite a fledgling thing. I told him at the time, if I do this, we're going to change the name. Uh, it, the current name is Art Fest Fort Myers. At that time, this craft event had a very long, unmarketable name, and changed the location to be okay. out on the river. Okay. Uh, and changed the focus to become a nationally recognized fine art no, festival. I like that. And so we did all that. We agreed to that, and uh, and we started with with nothing, with hmm. that, with, with zero, 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 zero dollars, zero, zero board members. So and how were you able to build that from zero? We had a little help from his office on, in the form of, of a loan, mm-hmm. uh, startup money that all had to be paid back at the end of the first year, and then additional sponsor money that first year, mm-hmm. uh, media support, just just like any not-for-profit, mm-hmm. really basic boots on the ground work. Uh, in the beginning, I did not take a salary that changed uh, in the first couple of years, mm-hmm. but uh, because there was no money. Right. I mean, I could right. have said I wanted a salary, but I, there was no money. Mm-hmm. So 
So we did, and then we just kept increasing our sponsor base and our reputation. Um, added more beverages. You know, beer is a profitable. Oh thing. yeah! Oh yeah! In the beginning, we didn't do beer because we were like, oh, I don't know if this goes with an art festival. Yes, it of does. It does. Southwest Florida <laughs> always have to have booze involved. And, but that, and the profits there, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, they just added that over time. We have tremendous sponsor support, um, tremendous sponsor retention. So, just eventually budget got to where it was sustainable, and we added staff, and we had a much more beautiful office, and mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you mentioned something really interesting, um, because we specialize in startup and small nonprofits, and initially the founder does not get paid. How does one transition to a point where the executive director starts receiving pay? By the reception of money, right? And, okay. And, that, and depending on who you are, like in our case, we're an arts organization, not a social service. Mm -hmm. So our message to be able to get sponsors and donation is very different mm -hmm. than the message. If you're trying to cure cancer or something mm -hmm. like that, you have a... Uh, or, or you have mental illness, mm -hmm. you have a cause-related thing, and there are people who support that cause. Mm -hmm. Creating a huge festival that brings economic impact to the city, uh, the whole community, that's really not a cause in the same sense. Right. But it's a marketing opportunity for sponsors. Yes. And it is all about the marketing opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so really getting to understand that and realize if you're in that kind of business, the same thing would be true for a, a theater or, or a symphony, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, um, that you're in the business of providing marketing opportunity, then makes the sponsorship much easier mm -hmm. because you can say, look, I have, my event has 90,000 people at it. Over this two days, you're gonna get this exposure that has a marketing value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that funding comes out of companies marketing budgets, budget, yeah. not their philanthropic budget. Mm -hmm. So one of our finest sponsors is Publix, mm -hmm. a very philanthropic company. Yes, it is. They have Publix charities to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a sponsor of the art festival. Mm -hmm. And their quote is always, it's all about selling more groceries. Or no, at the end of the day, it's about selling more groceries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're very wonderful, wonderful people. The end of the day is about selling more groceries yeah. in that yeah. budget. Yeah, right? yeah, so. yeah. One thing I like about Publix is, yeah, they're a little bit more expensive than other grocers, but I don't mind shopping there because I know they're very philanthropic. Every time I've ever reached out to them, they've always supported, and the customer service is unmatched. Right. Great customer service, clean stores, uh, nice people. And their charities are their charity right. division is great mm -hmm. for so many um, startups mm -hmm. and so many causes, mm -hmm. and they uh, they have a a good screening system, and you mm -hmm. have to do all that, but mm -hmm. you should do that anyway right. with your business plan. Yeah. So it kind of also forces a smart not for profit mm -hmm. to do that and mm -hmm. say, okay, I need to answer these questions. Just as important, I answer those questions for myself, mm -hmm. my, my not for profit, as for that grant mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. So. Um, they're just building that and that takes right. time and energy and it, it takes I think it takes investment too in the industry you're in mm -hmm. so in our case we were in a festival industry um, so spending the money to go to the training in those industries mm -hmm. learn all that so that you can then generate the income right right so not not thinking I know how to do this maybe maybe not 
depending on right. what you're doing. Right. So before we, we started recording the podcast, we, we had a discussion beforehand and we talked about the importance of running your nonprofit like a business. And the difference between a for-profit and nonprofit is your tax exemption status. So with that said, the organization has been around for 23 years. 23 years. So how did you, when you were executive director uh, of the organization and you're the founder, um, how did you run that nonprofit like a business? Any specific details you could share with us? Sure. I think mostly getting, making sure you really, in a gut level, get that it's a tax status, mm-hmm. right? It's not a business model. And I see so many not-for-profits, this is a building process, but acting as if they're a stepchild internally, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. they have to have um, hand-me-down furniture, they have Mm -hmm. to have lesser office space, uh, pay less money, these things that are are Mm stepchildy, as opposed to having confidence in what they're doing and appropriate surroundings, appropriate thought process, that this not-for-profit, this is a tax, tax status, so I don't have to pay taxes, but I'm going to operate in a very professional, wonderful, mm-hmm. confident, no apologies atmosphere, because that affects your donor, it affects right. your sponsor, because they want to have faith that this is something that is really well mm-hmm. operated and professional and all of that, uh, and not have a what I call kind of a beggy mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, because you wouldn't have that if you were starting a new restaurant. No, you wouldn't. Right? You wouldn't. You would come out with the best servers and food and all those things. Why do the not-for-profits think we need to be lesser? Right. And, and I think that's just a mindset that we need to change. And um, But it, it starts with one mind, if you will, at a time. So how does one do that? Because I know oftentimes when nonprofits start, they're putting their friends, they're putting their family on the board, and that could be the biggest mistake ever. Okay, so if we want to put our friends and family on the board just to push the paperwork through and get our our 501c3 or whatever status, um, that's fine. But we really need to think about when you talked about being a world-class nonprofit, and I like what you said about being a national um, nonprofit, so that's already thinking at a higher level. How does one begin to change their mindset? Because we already know society's mindset about nonprofits is that it doesn't have a mind of, of abundance. But how do we, as individuals and founders of someone thinking about starting a nonprofit, get that mindset before they even start? Because Nonprofit is a whole nother animal. It is, and, and when I say this, it's just a tax status. I mean, it is important to realize that there are rules. Right. And, and the not-for-profit has to follow the IRS's rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just disregard that. Right. So it's really follow those rules, but in your mind, operate like a business, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to be violating your reasons that you were made not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to your board question, we did that too. We had, I had friends, I had my husband, mm-hmm. right? That's what mm-hmm. we did, so we yeah. got paperwork done. Yeah, right. yeah. But very quickly, you realize. need to spend time um, either just with yourself or with other people you respect in the industry, mm-hmm. working out who those board members really need to mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. right? What are the skill sets that, that the executive director of the organization needs 
to be an effective board mm -hmm. um, and identify those. I used to call them kinds of people, and now I call them skill sets. But mm -hmm. um, what are those skill sets? And then go look at, well, who in the community fills that skill set? Mm -hmm. And start developing a list of, well, these three people fill my um, marketing skill set. Mm -hmm. And then decide who among that to recruit. So that you end up with the talents that you need on the mm -hmm. board. You end up with not uh, rubber stampy. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, not your spouse. My husband was not only a board member, but treasurer for <laughs> two and a half years. If you want to talk about conflict of interest, right? Right, right. I wasn't as wise then as today. Yeah, so yeah. Um, do that, but, but, but real early on because otherwise you start getting things set in place mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're always done it that way. Right. Mentality about something. You know, I've always thought that, that my, my best supporters are the people who disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Because if you just agree with me about everything, mm -hmm. what service is that to right. me? Right. Right. Because I won't think about the things that someone says, you know, really, you're really off base about mm -hmm. this and you should be thinking mm -hmm. about that. So, it's just doing that. There's plenty of not-for-profit um, directors around who are happy to help, to talk. I can't tell you how many dozens of not-for-profits and, and new events I've talked to over time uh, about really basic. Mm -hmm. And it's been so helpful for them, and it's been helpful for me because when they ask me the question, I'm like, oh, yeah, there is that aspect I should mm -hmm. be thinking about, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I like that, that you, you found... Um, it's helpful for you to reach out to nonprofits because oftentimes nonprofits always think that they're competitors. But we can work together, like the discussion we had before we started recording. Yeah, we're, we're all competitors, but we all do things differently. And whoever wants to support your organization will support your organization. And whoever wants to support mine would support mine. And that's the way I also feel as a nonprofit consultant. Because at the end of the day, if there are, there are tons of nonprofit consultants out there, people do business with people they like and people they are comfortable with and confident in. So with that said, and there's enough. There's enough. Uh, the pie is big enough. The, the pie is big enough for everyone. And I couldn't serve uh, a thousand people anyway. So um, you mentioned identifying board members. So say a nonprofit does their board matrix, and I, I call it a treasure hunt of mm -hmm. people in your network who have these skill sets that you mentioned. How does one approach a potential board member once they have identified because I know that could also be very intimidating say if it's a prominent banker in the community or a prominent uh, elected official um, how do you approach them to join your board uh, personally it's just been calling them you just know? picking up the phone yep and in a couple cases, a few cases, I have done an introductory email just mm -hmm. because I want to be able to explain enough about who the organization is mm -hmm. that they can read that. And sometimes that's hard in a phone call because yeah. they don't know me um, and see if they respond. And then, then the conversation. Okay. Um, or sometimes um, I'll say, I've been stocky. I know that that person tends to go to Starbucks at 3 o'clock in the afternoon downtown. 
Okay. So I can go to Starbucks at 3 o'clock. I mean, bump into them. And bump into them. I have been known to do that okay. more than once. I like that. Um, that works with a lot of people, not just potential board members, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our offices are downtown, so prior to COVID, mm-hmm. I would always go for a walk during the day. I knew different people were around different times. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I ran into them, sometimes not. But I might try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, today they're walking down the street. So, you know, I, I, I've been stalking. I like that. But, you know, I've worked with nonprofits who we've done a board matrix. They've identified potential board members. But I've, I've, I've cautioned them that you're not ready to recruit these board members because you need to have a strategic plan in place. You need to have a board orientation because if you, 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 you were so lucky to get a, a board member of that caliber, and they come to your organization and it's all disarray and not organized. There's no board orientation. You don't even have an agenda. That's a problem. You, you, you won't retain that board member. So not only you're recruiting the board members, making sure that you have systems in place for board orientation, letting them understand what their role is and the, what that responsibility is. I also believe in an annual commitment form for the yes. board where they get give. Board pledge. Exactly. In any amount, I know... High, bigger organizations require a dollar amount, but you know, if you're starting, you know, whatever amount plus supporting and you know, connecting you with their, their network. So, with that said, as a founder running the organization for 21 years, you recently found it in your, uh, your wheelhouse to, to take a step back and let another executive director take over. An organization start thinking about if their founders stepping away and um, I guess succession planning, if mm. you will. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, you know, and I think that's something we overlook a lot mm-hmm. um, because we don't necessarily, a founder doesn't realize as well how much is in their head mm-hmm. how much knowledge and connection they have that they need to transfer effectively and start planning that early enough mm-hmm. and it's not just that they might try to re- decide to retire or do something else somebody gets sick family member of us gets mm-hmm. sick horrible expression you hit by a bus right yeah we need yeah to that's say, that's the famous one get hit by a bus we just say move to fiji or something <laughs> but whatever happens to them that wasn't intentional. Right. And now what? You know, are we just going to close down our not-for-profit? I mean, what, right. So that, that planning is not just for um, if someone retires. Mm-hmm. And I would hope, and a founder would never be about, well, what if I were to get fired? Right. Um, maybe that would happen, but probably not. Um, a future executive director, but they need to get past that, too. It was like, well, I, I could get move to Fiji. Yeah. Uh, I like that better than being hit by a bus. My spouse could get really sick or Mm -hmm. my child and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden my life has changed. Right. And I I can't do this, but I don't want to leave this in like chaos of Mm -hmm. what's in my head went with me. So forcing that succession planning and forcing that not just for the executive director, but for the board, Mm -hmm. who's coming next, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're going to have a perpetual board. Um, And these other staff. Mm -hmm. What if you lose your big sponsor? Who's who's in the shoot? Right. right. Who am I developing a relationship right. with to replace XYZ company? Mm-hmm. Because if I lose that check, am I going out of business? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that kind of succession planning and forcing the time to do that and have a board who forces that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I know that by experience, right? That we didn't force that. Mm-hmm. We should have forced that. Yeah, that's very important. And and I also preach that I I, I often do speaking engagement before other groups. So so last month I did a speaking engagement before a women's group. And normally when I do a speaking engagement, I talk about my company, Grow Your Nonprofit. But God gave me this message that I needed to give to this women's group. And it's how to create multiple streams of income for yourself. So that I say that to say also with the nonprofit world, you know, oftentimes they're relying on this, the grant from here, the grant from here. We know this donor. No, things change. So not only do we we want those grants we we have that signature event and we have our donor base we also want to think about our endowment so we can create sustainability for a nonprofit as well as uh, earned income so what right. t- type of social enterprise we could create to generate income so great example is goodwill mm-hmm. they do it well with their thrift stores but they're more than thrift stores right and 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 that's a, a hard message for them to get out I'm actually interviewing them this week but um, how do it, it, at the beginning I, I I believe nonprofits should that that should be one of their first things they should do how to generate earned income for their nonprofit possibly how to get a state contract or some sort of contract right so we have those two sources then building our donor base and let's have one signature event where yes it's a lot of work but how do we change those transaction those transactional donors into donors so what's the follow-up after the event i don't think too as many nonprofits think about what's the follow-up plan after the event because you have all of these email addresses all of these contact information I know we talked about surveying after the event and what is the follow-up plan. So I know we could talk all day. I told you the time <laughs> go by. It goes by so fast. And I definitely want to um, bring you back so we can talk about other things because before we started recording the podcast, I mean, it's just so much so much knowledge you have that I, I've actually learned a lot from you Good. and I like to continue the conversation with you. So uh, with that said, thank you so much, Sharon, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the Grow Your Nonprofit podcast and share your knowledge. And hopefully it, it resonated and helped the nonprofits out there. So with that said, thank you guys for tuning in. Please subscribe and like us on YouTube. Um, Sharon, I, I forgot. I, I'm so sorry. How can someone can someone even reach out to you? Because I know you're no longer the executive director. You're you're retired. I'm retired from that. I am still a board member, though. And okay. I'm still very active. I have some passion about about our strategic plan, about uh, DEI work, mm-hmm. and things like that that I'm still really involved in. So okay. My. I can give you my email address if you like. It, it's still my ArtFest address. It's very long. Um, how, how about the website for ArtFest and when the next event is coming? And then you also mentioned that you're you're looking to build your volunteer base. Right. I mean, that our website has the, the uh, on the About page has the contact information for mm-hmm. our employees, our staff. Um, you could use the info one and ask them to send you mine mm-hmm. because my address is still affiliated with ArtFest. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a personal one as well, but um, because I'd love to talk to people, I think the, the the interaction and the sharing of that knowledge. And one thing you talked about was events. I would love to come back and talk about how not-for-profits who are not in the event business, we're in the event business. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's our thing. You know us for um, how they most effectively use an event 
mm-hmm. to drive their their mission mm-hmm. because they're they're really not in the business of producing a gala or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's to support their cause and how to do that best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that those not for profits learn a tremendous amount from the folks who actually operate an event as part of their mission right? mm-hmm. um, and what we can share with uh, those who are using it as a fundraiser or a friend raiser mm-hmm. to do that well that okay. follow up thing mm-hmm. that, that all of it um, and how sponsorship of an event is different than seeking a donor for your cause. Right, right. And what is the website for people to learn more uh, information about the Artfestfortmyers.com. Okay. Art Make Fest. sure you spell Fort Myers, F-O-R-T. Okay. And spelled Myers correctly. Okay, very <laughs> good. Guys, you heard it here. Another amazing um, nonprofit professional here in the community doing great things in the community. I know you talked about art not being a social cause, but I think art has a lot to do with mental it health. Does. And it, it's it's freedom to express yourself so I, I think it's very important work and I think the world is starting to, to value the arts more because mm-hmm. I'm starting to see more money go towards art as well as mental health in the community so that's very important so thank you for all of your work and the contributions that you made here in the beautiful Southwest Florida thank you so this is Tamika Seaton um, so f- to learn more about Grow Your Nonprofit and watch other episodes You see our website here on the screen. Thank you and stay tuned for more Grow Your Nonprofit podcasts.